I think the lesson, the big lesson, which is very clear, um, is that we really need to see some serious efforts to tackle this, what we've called the financial resilience gap that the pandemic and now the cost of living crisis has made worse. Um, And we really need some serious effort to try and kind of close that gap. Hi, and welcome to COVID Matters, a podcast by COVIDAID. I'm your host, Cheryl, and I'm a content editor and writer at COVIDAID. On today's episode, I speak to Professor Sharon Collard, who's a professor and research director for the Personal Finance Research Centre at the University of Bristol. Since the initial outbreak of the pandemic, Professor Sharon has been leading the team commissioned by Aberdeen Financial Fairness Trust to conduct a coronavirus financial impact tracker survey to determine the financial impact of the pandemic on households across the UK. These surveys have been taking place throughout the past two years, beginning in April 2020, with the most recent results, conducted in a survey in October 2021, being published in December of last year. We invited Professor Sharon onto the podcast to tell us more about these findings. We talk about how the pandemic has impacted the finances of households across the UK and which groups have been most affected, the financial resilience gap and wealth inequalities highlighted by the survey data, and how the cost of living crisis may impact our financial outlook in the coming year. So we're a small research centre, the Personal Finance Research Centre, which is based at the University of Bristol. Um, And we've got a core team of five people. And for the last 20 years, we've conducted research into people's personal finances, kind of what it says on the tin, really, as the Personal Finance Research Centre. And we've looked at issues like people's access to financial services and how that could be improved, how we manage our money and what happens when things go wrong. So, for example, when life events such as job loss or divorce lead to money problems and the sorts of help and advice that people might benefit from when that does happen. So that's kind of been our bread and butter research for the past 20 years. Not surprisingly, we felt it was really important to understand the financial impact of the pandemic on UK households. And I think what we really wanted to do was go beyond the big picture to see how different types of households are being affected so that we could understand, you know, where where perhaps households needed particular support. So you began to conduct the Coronavirus Financial Impact Tracker Survey, which is the main point of our discussion today. As you released the December edition, which looked at data dating back to October 2021. So this is the fifth in the series. Can you tell us a bit more about how this began and what its aims are? The tracker survey, the Coronavirus Financial Impact Tracker was commissioned originally by a charitable foundation called the Aberdeen Financial Fairness Trust, who used to be the Standard Life Foundation. And they asked us to help them design the survey and analyse the survey data. And the survey itself is actually run by the polling company YouGov. So it's an online survey. And there have been five surveys since the start of the pandemic. In April, May and July 2020, 
Then we had one in March 2021. And as you say, Cheryl, the latest one was in October 2021. And each time we've done the survey, we've had about 6,000 people responding. Those people are nationally representative of the UK population. And we ask people quite a lot about their household income, how they're paying their bills um, and different types of bills that they're paying. And we ask them about borrowing and debt. Um, and on the other side of the balance sheet, we ask about savings um, and ability to pay for things like essentials, such as food. And over the course of the five trackers, we've asked slightly different questions um, as, as the kind of pandemic has progressed. And so in October, quite a big focus was trying to take stock of what had happened to people's financial situations since March um, 2020. I suppose what one of the things that's perhaps unique about this tracker survey is that from the answers that people give us, we produce a measure of household financial well-being. And what that means is that we're, we're taking people's answers to a whole range of questions to look at the extent of financial strain that households are under, but also their ability to cope with that financial strain. And that means that we can segment the UK population into four different groups, depending on their level of financial well-being. And, and those that have the greatest financial well-being, we call financially secure. And those who have the least good financial well-being are, are people who are, we call in serious financial difficulty. So what were some of the key findings from the data published in December? So the data that we published in December, which was collected in October, the kind of overall headline finding was that there are about four in 10 UK households. So that's about... 10 and a half million households in total that actually from their survey answers look to be financially secure. So they had good financial well-being. They were managing quite well. So that was really positive, you know, four in 10 households. That's good, having been through 18 months of a pandemic. However, the really concerning thing was that more than a quarter of UK households, that's about 7 million households in total, were either struggling to manage financially or they had fallen into serious financial difficulties. And when we talk about serious financial difficulties, we mean people who've got into arrears with bills and are kind of not able to, to keep up with bills and payments. So that was the kind of headline where we kind of saw a split between, you know, four in 10 households who are doing pretty well, but then quite a big chunk of households, 27% or more than a quarter, who were in, in much worse financial situations. And I think perhaps the surprising thing for us was over the course of, you know, this was the fifth tracker that we've done. Um, and the picture in terms of that financial well-being at household level was largely unchanged from April 2020. So the same proportions of households have been financially secure, um, struggling to manage and in serious financial difficulty. But what we could see in October was that the cost of living crisis was really starting to bite across all households. And even amongst those households that were coping well and had good financial well-being, they were still reporting having to spend more um, on essential kind of day-to-day -day items because of the rising costs. So I think that's when we really started to see, you know, you had the impact of the pandemic and then we've got the cost of living crisis really starting to hit as well and affecting households um, across the financial well-being range, really. 
That's quite interesting to hear, particularly because, you know, there were reports initially that because we were spending so much more time inside, that people were actually saving money. But in fact, what you found is that because people were struggling with other areas, they weren't necessarily benefiting. And like you say, those who were secure remained secure and those who were worse off remained that way. There was no change or no shift there. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much the picture, Cheryl. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think really what we're seeing is if you came into the pandemic being fairly financially secure anyway, so you're kind of, you're perhaps on a fairly reasonable income, you had some savings and you were, for example, able to work from home during the pandemic, you would have been saving money because you know, during lockdown in particular, there was much less to spend money on, couldn't go on holiday, you know, couldn't socialise. And so people in that situation was able to save money and they were able to pay down debt. Whereas for households who came into the pandemic um, in a worse financial position, who generally tended to be on lower incomes, they were actually having to spend more of the income they had on paying for essentials. Um, And they were also more likely to have been impacted by the pandemic financially and economically, for example, they might have been furloughed or have lost their job. So it was that picture of kind of inequality going into the pandemic, which was exacerbated, I think. And then on top of that, we've since had the cost of living crisis as well, which is um, still ongoing. So that kind of ties into this financial resilience gap, which is mentioned in the survey. So I just wondered if you could tell us a bit more about that, how it looked previously before the pandemic and what the situation is now. Yeah. So when we talk about the financial resilience gap, what we really mean is the gap between households that can deal with a financial shock. And as I mentioned earlier, those shocks might be things like losing a job or the financial impact of divorce, or they could be something much nicer, like welcoming a new baby into the family. But those are all things that can kind of make financial management difficult um, because it's you know increasing costs and perhaps um, you're losing income at the same time. So it's the gap between households that can deal with those types of shocks and those that cannot uh, deal with those types of shocks or have less of a kind of buffer to be able to do that. Um, And I think what we know is that that your ability to deal with those financial shocks is down to things like how much you earn, whether you have savings, whether you have, have assets like owning your own home. But it's not just about individuals. It's also about the extent to which the state and employers provide support to people, for example, what support the state provides to people who are out of work or unable to work. And that all feeds into our our overall financial resilience, I think. Um, So in terms of what the situation was pre-pandemic, even before this big economic shock happened, there's data that shows about 30% of UK adults had pretty low financial resilience, which meant they didn't really have any safety net in the event of a financial shock. Um, And that was down to things like income and earnings levels having been fairly stagnant um, over the past 10 years, people not being able to save or not feeling that they could put money into savings and also needing to borrow money in order to manage or you know, borrowing for, for other reasons. And those were some of the reasons why the UK had pretty low financial resilience or a big chunk of UK adults had low financial resilience. And what we saw during the pandemic was that if you look at the kind of big picture overall in terms of the effect on the, on the labour market and employment, 
the impacts have been less pronounced than was originally forecast. And so, for example, we didn't see big rises in unemployment that had originally been predicted. And things like the government job support schemes were broadly successful in protecting people's jobs and incomes, which is, you know, that's a real um, positive story. But that's a big picture. And underneath that big picture, there were large variations in experience and where households have felt the effect of the pandemic, that impact has been quite significant. Um, So what we saw in the latest tracker survey from October 2021 was that for every household that saw their financial situation get better over the course of the pandemic, two households saw their financial situation get worse So again, it's that kind of pulling apart of those that were kind of managed quite well over the course of the pandemic and those that were affected much more um, seriously financially. Um, And the other aspect to it as well, which is it's not just about income and savings, it's also about assets. And the think tank, the Resolution Foundation, has shown how there's been quite a big growth in wealth inequality over the course of the pandemic. And that's largely due to rises in asset prices, such as property. So what we've seen is the richest 10% of UK households gain over £50,000 per adult in wealth, while the poorest 30% of the wealth distribution in the UK gained just £86 per adult on average in additional wealth. So those numbers basically tell us there's been a big growth in wealth inequality and that's largely down to the fact that, you know, the housing market means that if you if you own your own home, then actually you, you've seen your assets increase and your wealth increase as a result. It's quite a stark difference between the two then. I quite liked there was a phrase used in the survey talking about the virtuous cycle versus the vicious cycle. And it does just give you the impression that the wealthier you are, the better off you'll be, whereas those at the bottom are really struggling to make ends meet, unfortunately. So in terms of the 38% who whose situation did get worse, are there certain factors towards that? Or is that again down to kind of furlough and universal credit? Yeah, that's a really good question. So as you say, the October 2021 data showed that about 38% of households um, had financial situation that had got a lot worse. And as you say, Cheryl, this was a kind of, we, what we saw was this kind of vicious cycle where they had seen their earnings impacted negatively by COVID. So they might have lost their job or been furloughed. They'd been hit quite hard in terms of their earnings um, and it had gone on for quite a long time. So, you know, some of the people worst affected had were still feeling the effects on their on their earnings 18 months after the pandemic. So that was it was kind of the depth of the shock in terms of the impact on their earnings and how long it had lasted, which seemed to be really making it difficult for people. And then there's a kind of knock-on effects. This is the vicious cycle that you see where they had needed to draw heavily on savings if they had any savings um, and increase the amount that they owed on things like credit cards, overdrafts and personal loans in order to manage. So it's that kind of, you've had a you've had a big hit to your income You might have drawn on any savings that you used sensibly to try and manage. And when that runs out, you might need to turn to borrowing in order to just kind of keep afloat, really. And these households who had experienced these particularly vicious cycles um, tended to have lower incomes before the pandemic. And so they just, you know, didn't have much of a buffer to start with um, and to fall back on. 
And in fact, what the survey does is it categorises these households or those particularly affected by the pandemic financially. It categorises them into four groups. So what can you tell us about these four groups and why does the survey refer to them as the missing voices? Yeah, so in the survey data, we looked at what groups had been particularly badly affected financially by the pandemic and the four groups that we found consistently to be badly financially affected, and this is supported by other research, um, are householders with a disability or a health problem, um, particularly those who aren't able to work. The second group was single parents. The third group was households receiving universal credit, and particularly households where nobody was in work and they were receiving universal credit. And the other group it's, it's people from some black and minority ethnic groups. Um, and that last group we didn't look at specifically um, in, in our tracker survey, but it comes from other uh, lots of other research that's being carried out that shows that people from some black and minority ethnic groups have been particularly badly affected. And the reason we kind of caught, said that these groups seem to be missing voices was that because over the course of the pandemic, their situations received relatively little attention from the media or from policymakers. Um, and, and it felt like what was reported was the big picture, um, which was generally more positive about how you, the UK had managed to economically weather the pandemic. But actually underneath that, when you dig down into the details about different groups, there are some groups that are really um, struggling to manage. Um, and that's why we felt their voices were missing. And some of the help that was provided, so things like furlough schemes, the temporary uplift in universal credit, which was, you know, all of those things were fantastic at supporting millions of people. But those households that we felt were particularly financially affected were often not eligible for that type of support. Uh, and, and so were kind of left without additional support to manage throughout the pandemic. Yeah, it's very unfortunate to hear that the people who need it most are the ones that are often ignored. And hopefully what your survey does is it gives a voice and it highlights those who are struggling at the moment financially. So in your opinion, what can organisations and individuals do to make sure these voices are heard? Yeah, I think it's probably down to persistence, to be honest, Cheryl, and just being dogged at making sure that, you know, we do look beyond that big picture. We do look at how different groups are impacted. And, and that's not to say, I mean, there's been some fantastic campaigning going on by yourselves and other organisations to try and make sure that these missing voices are heard. But I appreciate that's really difficult. And if if government and others aren't listening, that's, that makes it really hard so I think it is, it's just trying to be really persistent and keep banging away at that message that, yes, overall, the UK has come out of it pretty well. But when we look uh, beyond that big picture, we really need to think about some of the groups that have been badly affected and what type of support they need. And, and supporting organisations like your own and others that, that are, are doing this great work, like the campaigns against child poverty, uh, the Child Poverty Action Group, for example. There's quite a lot of other organisations representing people with disabilities like um, Scope and Mencap and others, um, all trying to highlight these issues. So I think it's just trying to kind of keep the momentum going. 
What kind of outcomes would you like to see as a result of this financial tracker survey? Are there any lessons we can learn at this stage and going forwards, perhaps? I think the tracker survey, or I hope the tracker survey, has helped to shine a light on the financial impact of the pandemic in a unique way because we've looked at people's financial situations really in the round from all different types of perspectives. It's not just their not just their savings, it's also their spending, it's how things have changed over time. Um, and I think though that's hopefully a unique contribution that it makes. And we have been kind of sharing the findings a lot with government departments and other organizations and, and trying to um, ensure that they're used in a way that's, you know, that can support campaigning um, that other organizations do. I think the lesson, the big lesson, which is very clear, um, is that we really need to see some serious efforts to tackle this, what we've called the financial resilience gap that the pandemic and now the cost of living crisis has made worse, you know, existed as we've talked about before the pandemic. Um, and we really need some serious effort to try and kind of close that gap because it really leaves people in a very vulnerable situation financially. And we know very well from other research that, you know, being in a difficult financial situation can impact on many other areas of life, like your, your health and your mental health, for example. And that does also show up in the tracker data, actually, where people who are the worst off are almost always anxious about their situations. Um, and it's having a, you know, that, that impact on their, their mental health and well-being as well. And I, I suppose the thing that I'm concerned about is amongst, you know, we've got lots of talk about levelling up and putting money into regions that need it, which is great. But there's, I'm, I'm concerned that will that money get to the millions of people that really need it who risk being left behind? Do you have any, you know, predictions as to how long we'll be dealing with this financial impact? I know we've we've spoke a lot about the cost of living crisis. What can you tell us about how that's going to determine our futures and the futures of people who are struggling enough as it is without inflation and energy prices rising? Yes, well, sadly, it does look like, you know, that situation's not getting much Better April is going to be a bit of a crunch point with the energy prices again and with um, tax increases happening. So what we know from the October tracker data is for those households that already had low financial resilience, the effects were likely to be quite long lasting and that their future financial prospects were, weren't looking great based on a, you know, a number of different dimensions, really. Um, and so I suppose the big question is how do you help people come back from that situation? Um, and I think it, you know, it might take quite some time in order to do that. I'm, and I'm afraid I don't have any big answers to how that might happen, except that we need to look at things like the social security system. We need to look at the other support that people have and, and you know, making sure that work pays for people. Yep. And fingers crossed, we can eventually start to see that financial resilience gap close. However we do it, like you say, we might not have the answers here, myself and yourself, but hopefully there will be plans in place. Um, so I just wondered about your next steps throughout the year. Will you be continuing in this survey? I know we're at the fifth one so far. Are there more to come or do you see an end point? So we've got one more tracker survey, the sixth tracker survey is planned 
it'll probably happen in the first half of this year. I think that's going to be the last one as far as I know for the time being. Um, and I think in that we will probably focus a bit more on the future, as we've talked about a little bit today, and the potential longer term financial impact of the pandemic, just to understand the kind of the, the potential trajectories for the different groups that we've talked about today. So, for example, we've been doing some research around um, uh, people's gambling um, and, and the links between gambling and debt. And it certainly seems to be that, for, unfortunately, for some people, um, the pandemic has um, created debt problems that are linked to, to gambling. So perhaps they, they may have started gambling a bit more because of the pandemic. Um, and, and so I think um, we kind of we're going to see it, the impacts of the pandemic coming out in research for a really long time to come. Um, because it, it it's had such a big impact on on so many households. Are there any resources or organisations that you would recommend for listeners at home who may be struggling with their finances as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, no, that's a really great question, Cheryl. And I think we know from all the people we've talked to who've who've been in a difficult situation with money, um, just how you know, it's a really big step to to go and ask for help from and advice from somebody else when you're worried about money. But I think the research suggests that if you are worried, the sooner you get help, the better. And that might just be talking to somebody about what what you can do, um, and they might have some practical things that you can actions that you can take. Um, so I think the things we would probably suggest are talking to the to the organizations that you owe money to, talking to your creditors to see if they can help in the first instance. Um, but there is also lots of independent help available free of charge from a whole range of organizations across the UK. Um, and perhaps a good starting place if you're not sure um, what help you want or what's out there um, is Money Helper. And that's www.moneyhelper.org.uk. And that's completely free of charge, impartial help and advice. They have lots of resources online. They also have a telephone helpline. There's also lots of information about other sources of help, like debt advice. Um, But if if you are worried about being in debt and that you've fallen behind with payments or you're worried about falling behind with payments, some of the national organizations and charities that are out there include National Debtline, um, and there's also a business deadline that helps um, small businesses that are in debt. There's Citizens Advice, there's Step Change Debt Charity, um, and all of those have information on their websites and helplines and face-to-face services. Uh, well, some of them have face-to-face services that you can use as well. So I would suggest if anybody's worried about money to check out those resources um, and definitely remember that you don't need to pay for that help. Um, there are some unscrupulous organisations out there who, who pretend to be charities and offer free help and advice, but they're, they're generally not ones that you would want to use. So try and stick with the, the ones that are free of charge and impartial. Um, and as I say, money help is a good place to start. Thank you to Professor Sharon for joining us on this episode of COVID Matters. I think it's important to note some of the positives from the survey data. It's reassuring that 4 in 10 households are financially secure and that those financially secure households were able to increase their financial well-being over the course of the pandemic. 
but we can't ignore the fact that 7 million households across the UK struggled or had fallen into serious financial difficulty as a result of the pandemic. It's these households that have felt the impact of the pandemic worst of all. With the cost of living crisis and energy prices rising, there's so much more that we need to do to support them. If yourself or anyone you know is struggling as a result of the pandemic, I'll be sure to list the organisations mentioned by Sharon in this episode's show notes. You will also be able to find access to resources and support on our website. Please follow us on social media. We are at COVID Aid Charity and like and subscribe to COVID Matters if you would like to hear more conversations with experts. Thanks for listening and until next time, please take care.